Mi nombre es Jenny Cornejo, soy de nacionalidad ecuatoriana. Mi papel de colectivo Semilla es de ser eh, voluntaria, pero antes de ser voluntaria fui beneficiaria. I am a volunteer with the Semilla Collective, but before becoming a volunteer, I was a beneficiary. The pandemic caused worry and anxiety for my family. But then we saw a glimmer of hope when my friend Anthony told me about a mutual aid fund for people in need of payment of rent, bills, or basic services. I got a call one day, and they said, surprise, you are a beneficiary of $750. Hi, Jenny. We are from the Semilla Collective, and we are calling you to coordinate the delivery of your food box. Yo dije, wow. I said, wow, and it was just a joy. And I am eternally grateful for the help of the people who are part of the Samia Collective. That was the sound of the Samia Collective, a local immigrant rights group that helped found the New Haven Area Mutual Aid Fund and a food garage in the past few months. Food pantries like these distribute food to individuals living in New Haven when they have difficulty purchasing enough to avoid hunger. While the COVID-19 pandemic rages on and New Haven feels a lot quieter than usual, the Samia Collective shows that there are pockets in the city which still burst with joy, community and even music. Their volunteer Jenny's story is just one of many happening all over New Haven as the community has come together to help families face one of the biggest challenges of the pandemic getting basic necessities. I'm Alexa. And I'm Andrea. And for this episode, we want to talk about food. In COVID-19, how are New Haven's food businesses and food insecure adjusting? But first, what is food insecurity? Food insecurity is defined as a lack of access to readily available food that is both nutritious and affordable. In 2018, 21% of New Haven's population was food insecure. However, this number increases to 36% among people making under $30,000 a year. In light of the pandemic, the organization Feeding America projects that food insecurity could increase nationally by nearly 5% in 2020. Food insecurity also disproportionately affects communities of color, with the demographic breakdown of Connecticut's food insecure population ranging from 9% among white adults to 22 and 27% for Black and Latino adults, respectively. And in New Haven, groups that are more likely to be food insecure make up a substantial part of the population. One third of the city population is black and 17% of the population is of immigrant status. In 2017, 45% of non-citizens lacked adequate income to meet basic needs like food and shelter. For many families, getting a full meal ready from one day to the next is no easy task. The coronavirus pandemic has particularly complicated this. Although New Haven has not officially ordered its residents to shelter in place, lost jobs, restrictions on public gatherings, and the personal health risk a grocery run might pose has made getting daily essentials more difficult than ever. This is where organizations like the Samia Collective and Soup Kitchens come in. 
At the end of last episode, you heard a short clip from David O'Sullivan, director of the Community Soup Kitchen. In normal years, the soup kitchen provides healthy meals among other services to the neighborhood's most food insecure. Since the pandemic hit, operations at the kitchen have seen some changes, although perhaps not quite what we would expect. Well, it's kind of interesting. We're probably serving about the same number of people, but we are serving more food. Currently, we're getting surplus food from a local farm, and we've been getting surplus food from some of the Yale dining halls, and that has increased the number of meals that we're providing. Though at the same time, we are seeing a bunch of different people that we have not seen in the past. One of the things that they noticed was that I think at the last food pantry, something like 50% of the people there had never been to a food pantry. Talking with David gave us important insights on how traffic has changed at the soup kitchen. But we wanted to dive deeper into exactly how the citywide approach to food insecurity has shifted during the pandemic. Jackie Minot, the program's manager at the Yale Sustainable Food Program, has studied this problem closely as part of her work both at the Yale Farm and the New Haven Food Policy Council, where she is a long-standing affiliate. Early on in the pandemic, she started to see changes in New Haven's food insecurity debate. The New Haven Food Policy Council, the Community Alliance for Research and Engagement, and Data Haven all have collected really wonderful data on food insecurity in New Haven. And research coming from those organizations has consistently illustrated that New Haven's vulnerable populations are indeed food insecure and the pandemic is compounding those problems. We thought we have space to grow food. People need food. We're going to grow food for people. That's wonderful. And definitely using Yale's farm space to grow food for the food insecure is one way to alleviate the difficulties posed by the pandemic. I'm interested in learning more about the dynamics of New Haven's food insecurity problems. How are these conversations taking place? Is New Haven faring differently to its neighbours? I think something that, that sets New Haven apart is that a lot of the activism aiming to alleviate food security and hunger has sought to address the root causes of poverty. That is not something that is always happening in hunger relief movements. But New Haven folks are all about redistributing power, paying fair wages, affordable access to housing, and other basic needs that make food security possible rather than just giving folks food, actually giving them power. It comes down to sovereignty, to being able to create the future that you want to see and having the power to do that. We see that with almost every group of stakeholders that we work with at City Seed, whether it's farmers and producers or folks who are on SNAP or the immigrants and refugees we work with, Sanctuary Kitchen. COVID has been kind of an amplifier of some of the issues and inequities that were already there in the food system. That was Courtney Renton, the executive director of City Seed, a nonprofit working to create an equitable local food system and provide New Haven residents with access to fresh food. Sanctuary Kitchen was designed to provide immigrant and refugee chefs with economic opportunities and cultural exchange. What do the stakes look like from the point of view of the chefs and providers? You know, the women that we work with, they, they depend on us for employment. This is their livelihood. For many of them, they're the sole income earners in their families. And so if we have to shut down or if we're not getting enough orders, they just can't come to work that day. So we always tell our customers that when you order from Sanctuary Kitchen, the impact is direct. That was Samia Khan, another City Seed employee who oversees Sanctuary Kitchen. Before the pandemic, Sanctuary Kitchen's program was centered on bringing people together through food. 
With the requirements of social distancing, COVID has dramatically changed how sanctuary kitchens operations work. So we quickly transitioned to an online model where the community can order food from us and they would pick it up from us on Friday and then they would go on Zoom and join us for dinner and have some sense of community, even though we were not at the same table necessarily. The food service industry has experienced a lot of challenges as a result of the pandemic. Although it is the second highest employer in Connecticut, it is deemed non-essential prior to the early phases of reopening. The food service industry is high risk for job loss, and many of the individuals working in this industry across the state are often immigrants or people of color. In the face of these challenges, many food business owners have been faced with a tough decision to streamline costs in order to run their business or to close up shop altogether. However, the program Steady Seed Incubate has these business owners at the forefront of their minds. The program has been supporting culturally diverse food entrepreneurs for years. Courtney talked to us about how they've even helped open some new restaurants during the pandemic. We've seen some ventures that we've worked with through our Incubates programming and our Food Business Accelerator really be able to take off during the pandemic. A great example is Vegan Ahava, who went through our Food Business Accelerator last year and just opened a storefront on Court Street and still has their food truck going, so they've been able to kind of keep growing and building. Of every seven Connecticut residents, one is foreign-born. In the city of New Haven, the total foreign-born population has increased by 51% since 2000. The percentage change of North African immigrants in particular has increased by a stark 94% since 2000. With the increasing diversity of immigrant populations settled in New Haven, local businesses have thrived with the culture and energy that these communities bring. Immigrants sustain the small business sector, and over a fifth of immigrants work in the food services industry. Restaurants are a place to bring the vibrance of their culture to an already cosmopolitan city. City Seeds programs might have found an interesting way to connect these two threads. What if Sanctuary Kitchen's immigrant and refugee communities were themselves food entrepreneurs? In America, immigrants face unique hardships, whether it's access to fair employment and healthcare, language barriers, or food insecurity. One organization, Havenly Treats, is working to help reduce these barriers facing refugee women from the Middle East and North Africa. Havenly's goal is to enable these women to attain employment and financial self-sufficiency through education and political involvement efforts. My name is Ben Weiss. I graduated from Yale in 2020, and I am one of the co-founders of Havenly Treats. Havenly got its start back in 2018, and it was sort of created out of a collaboration between three of my other co-founders. And at the center of that was Katerina Pisoni, who's the current executive director, and Nida Abbas, who is our head chef and one of our co-founders as well. Nida and her family had come to New Haven um, as refugees from Iraq with a couple points in between on that journey. And essentially, Katerina and Nida had been paired through IRIS's cultural companionship program. IRIS, which stands for Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services, is a nonprofit organization based in Connecticut that seeks to help refugees and other displaced individuals establish new lives and build their communities. 
Through a variety of programs, including housing, employment and legal aid, IRIS helps refugees become self-sufficient, integrating them into and enriching Connecticut's communities. Nida, like so many others, is an extremely skilled person. For her, that skill happens to be cooking. But despite that, she was unable to find work due to a variety of barriers that refugee women face in America. So she had the business acumen that it would take to run a business in New Haven as well. And sort of the, the ingredients, if you will, were all there. And so it became a matter of connecting the dots and giving it a try. And so back in 2018, we started selling Nida's foods in one of Yale's butteries, and it was a total hit. After the initial popularity of Nida's cooking, Havenly won the Sci City Summer Fellowship, allowing them to expand during the summer of 2018 and develop their mission to empower refugee women in New Haven. Through a six-month-long fellowship with Havenly Treats, refugee and immigrant women learn how to work in a professional kitchen, whilst also taking classes in digital and financial literacy and English as a second language to gain the tools and skills they need to seek out further employment. I was always blown away by the incredible mix of aromas because on a given day we would be making three different kinds of Middle Eastern pastries, but then also shifting to the summer, all sorts of savory dishes as well, from biryani, which is a sort of rice dish, to boric, which is a flaky layered pastry that has mincemeat filling, to sort of every kind of dish Nida could think of. Havenly's story during the pandemic is an interesting one. Just a few days ago, Mayor Ellica announced that New Haven would be rolling back into phase two, meaning further reduced dining capacity at restaurants, among other things. While many restaurants in New Haven have closed their doors, at least temporarily, this summer, Havenly actually opened up their own restaurant on Temple Street in downtown New Haven. What was it like to open a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic? What was the incentive to take this step at a time when so many other food businesses were cutting back? From Nida and the fellow's perspective, they saw that there were people who were unable to feed themselves due to the pressures of the pandemic, and they had the skill set required in order to fill that need. It was an experience. I mean, I think throughout Havenly's story, there have been a number of times when we've needed to pivot or adapt to unforeseen circumstances, and this was par for the course in that way. But I think it's because of Nida's skill and our fellows' experience with needing to pivot in this way that allows us to be flexible. We also worked with a variety of local nonprofits in order to make that shift happen from the actual construction of the kitchen to running the food relief program on a daily basis. And I think without that network of partners in New Haven's already existing nonprofit world, it would have been much harder to accomplish what we have. Similar to other organizations in New Haven, Havenly Treats responded to the pandemic by creating a food relief program. To Camilla and Katerina, also co-founders of Havenly Treats, this was the natural shift for their organization, whose chefs and consumers are bound by a common goal. Immigrants helping immigrants get through this time. We see a particularly complex and entrenched food security problem in New Haven. But we also see that the city is well-placed to solve this problem, with a number of non-profit organizations willing to help. Through the pandemic, is this something that you've seen in New Haven? A place where the community fights for itself and for each other? New Haven is a fairly small city. I feel like everyone is connected by like three degrees of separation. And that makes it really rich. There's an excitement in that. There's hope in that. Because with so many people with their hands in this struggle, if we connect and support others who are working towards similar goals and with similar values, then we can accomplish a lot. 
fighting for a better community, a community that supports everyone is almost like a way of life for a lot of people here. And there's so many different measures of that. One measure that's kind of more surface level is just the sheer number of nonprofits and community organizations that exist in this city. One reason is that we see such a stark inequality in New Haven with Yale being an epicenter of wealth and power and privilege and just holding on to so many of the resources in this city while so many people here struggle every single day just to put food on the table, just to pay rent and cover basic services. Yes, we come to this pivot point, one that we often overlook, Yale's relationship with New Haven and the power dynamic between the institution and the city. You started at Havenly as undergraduates, but now I imagine your relationship to the city is somewhat different, working full-time for the organization. We made a lot of mistakes. This way that Yale is engaged with the city as a city that is a city that's dangerous and I don't know, want anything to do with, or it's a city that's so poor and doesn't have the means to support itself. The shift that needs to happen is not from like, oh, you know, the city is dangerous to the city is so wonderful and has really good restaurants. Uh, although it's very true because I love the food in New Haven. But towards the city, exactly like it is a city that is fighting to build a better community. And I'm here as someone that, that can help that fight through the privilege that I have or as someone that at least cannot make it worse while I'm here. I'm sure many of our listeners will be inspired by the ways you are helping the community at this time. Which brings me to another question that is very much on the minds of food businesses in New Haven. Working in the food industry during COVID, each spike in cases risking a complete closure of your stores, that brings many difficulties. How has this affected you personally? It must be a heavy weight of responsibility to carry. I will say it's stressful. It's stressful even just, you know, we're all feeling stressed because everything is so uncertain and it's just stressful to not know what the future holds and and to just have to make a plan A if the pandemic goes this way, a plan B if the pandemic gets worse, a plan C if the pandemic stops and we find a vaccine. So in terms of personal, I will say it's stressful. As much as it's been inspiring and eye-opening, it's been exhausting. And honestly, I think my prevalent feeling is just anger (laughs) at just like how and just everything feels right now. And also just exhaustion at everything that we're doing is just like so little compared to what needs to happen. And thankfully we are not the only ones doing it and we are by far not the ones doing the most work in New Haven. And so, you know, that makes me hopeful. That makes me inspired. Feeding Elm City is tough, whether you're behind the counter or in front of it. And the problems don't stop there. The pandemic has highlighted already entrenched inequalities in New Haven's communities along race and class lines. Inequalities not limited to food security, but extending to housing inequality and access to health care, which have similarly become amplified by the pandemic. But there are bright spots. New Haven's network of organizations have made it their mission to support the food insecure and to find flex points to ease the rocky road for food service businesses during COVID. By nourishing our communities, food brings us together and gives us the fuel to keep going. And the people who continue to feed Elm City in this pandemic help us imagine how the future of food security can be better because of their work right now. Thanks for listening to episode two of the Building Branches podcast. Check out our description for more information about each of the organizations we mentioned today and how you can support their continued work. And if you want to hear more about the problems facing New Haven Public Schools, tune in next week. That day I remember, 
around one o'clock we called it off we said okay we're gonna cancel in-person programming the parents they really counted on us because the children they were just with their parents all day right everybody was locked up everybody was home everybody was away but the counselors they did their job 11 weeks they worked continuously every single day online with the kids and the results were amazing this episode was produced by alexa stanger andrea lee ellie buck Kunsang dorji kanan Ejigu, matthew fan nicole lee and veronica sosa special thanks to everyone who contributed to this episode